welcome into another episode of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Not just Natty Hattie. Not just Natty. <laughs> that sound you hear is my Colombian friend, Craig Morgan, talking into the <laughs> microphone. It is episode number 61. Jamie Eisner is here as well. Spe- and I, special guest, Jamie Eisner, as yeah. I was designated last time we did this. That's which true. feels like ages ago, pre-Thanksgiving. It really does, and it was only last week. But it was pre-everything. It was pre-Vegas Golden Knights. How are we feeling about that, guys? Uh, Army's not feeling great about it. No, they are not. <laughs> mm. I like the logo. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't scream Vegas. You know, listen, I... I don't get that hung up on nicknames one way or the other. I, nobody's ever going to be, you know, you're never going to have 100% satisfaction. Some people are going to like them. Some people aren't going to like them. It's the same thing with uniforms. I don't get that worked up about it. But what in Golden Knights says Las Vegas? Well, we agree they're going to drop the Golden as quickly as they can, right? And just be the Vegas Knights. And drop the K, too. <laughs> well, that'll just be implied. Silent K. How about this? Because, like, okay, if you have, like, a group of friends or you're playing hockey or whatever, you don't get to pick your own nickname. Like, you didn't pick Colombian Craig. That was given to you by a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> and now it's going gonna, it's gonna to live on on this podcast because you made the mistake of mentioning it last week. Why not just let the other 30 teams pick the name for the Vegas team and they don't have a choice? I'm not sure that would have played out well either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it would have been much more entertaining. Vegas losers. <laughs> every, every expansion team would just be the losers. <laughs> All right. Well, did you at least enjoy the opening ceremony where the video wouldn't play and they finally just had to scrap it? <laughs> the, the Las yeah. Vegas placeholders. <laughs> well, well, if you remember, what was it, three, maybe four uh, NHL awards ago where we were sitting uh, in – was it the was it the win? Where were yes, they it was the win. It was three awards. And ago. that they couldn't get their TVs to, you know, the NHL awards ceremony for the press room at the NHL awards. Yeah. yeah. Well, a little different. <laughs> Those were just a couple flat screen TVs for the mm. media. This was a giant screen. A little underfunded in Vegas, I think. That's probably I don't the problem think behind that's this. Probably the yeah, issue. They already wrote all. all those expansion checks. So it's, well, it was it was one of the more awkward ceremonies. So, what are your thoughts, Golden Knights? What does that What does that say to you? What does that do for you? Uh, I I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> Wait, you're gonna make, make me answer that? Uh, I just I'm gonna call them the Knights. I mean that's okay. What, what are your thoughts on them dropping the loss in Las Vegas and just being Vegas? Because they're basically just Vegas, aren't they? Yeah, that's, I guess they're the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Because, you know. Try, try to make your, your new franchise more complicated. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, we, we knew it was going to be the Golden Knights, the Silver Knights, or the Desert Knights, correct? We knew it was one of those three. Yeah. They wanted to just be the Knights originally, but they just couldn't because of the London Knights, and they can't be the Black but Knights. Even, even Knights, what? I mean, again, if you, if you drop the K, okay. That's that's weird though. Yeah. The nights. Uh, yeah. what, what does that do? I, that's it gets dark. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I don't know. We've we've come up with names that they could have gone with on this show. Black aces. They weren't allowed to, or even Black just the aces. Just the aces. Sure, those would have worked. When do we get to see the jerseys? Is that gonna be another like seven months? <laughs> yeah. TBD. Yeah. Okay. Because you're gonna spend a lot of time on this. The color scheme, if it's gonna be navy blue and gold, I, I don't hate it. But I feel like that there, there were ways when you're, when you're a hockey team or the first ever professional sports team, major sports team in Vegas, that you could have gone with a pretty unique color combination that nobody else in the league has. I don't know what that would have been. Maybe I thought we were going to see purple. I don't know why. I just expected purple. Comeback of purple. Remember when purple was big in the day? Yes. Jerry Colangelo. See that? See? I thought we were going to see like purple, purple and black or purple and... Chartreuse. Or... <laughs> there you go with your Barbara Streisand Fuchsia. songs again. Oh, maybe not. Okay. Fuchsia. Chartreuse and fuchsia. Uh, should we, before we go on, note that should Jamie, probably move on after J- that, Jamie looks like he's in the mafia today. I, I do, don't I? With the, yeah. the white, pure white shirt and the and slick the, back the hair. hair. Slick back I'm, and the beard. Yeah, I can't see much of him. I can't see the slick back hair, though. Yeah. And you know what, That's about all I can see. I will yeah. also say this. Jamie was kind enough to notice that I got a haircut. Now, I didn't. It was five weeks ago, but he still said, hey, nice haircut. So at least he so, cares. Okay. Do you want to say anything about this, dude? No, it's just the I didn't okay. comb my hair because okay. it's a podcast, so okay. get over it. How's that? Um, Connor McDavid was here last week. Right here? Right here in this studio. I don't know where you guys were. And uh, it's I, I'm going to start this conversation off right here by saying this. I don't think he's the best player in the world yet. He might be the most entertaining player in the world to watch. I, I still think Crosby's the best player. Um, we can get into that in a second. And obviously Crosby's playing in bigger games when you get to April and May and June, but you can't really look away from Connor McDavid when he's on the ice. 
I have no argument with that. I don't even know what to say to that because, yeah, he's he's worth. The, as I wrote last week, he's worth the price of admission. He's he's spectacular. The speed alone jumps out at you. It's, it's just the speed. It is. Yeah. It's 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 ridiculous. But he has crazy stick skills too. I'm not sure he's quite Patrick Kane when it comes to stick skills, but probably doesn't need it when he's got that kind of speed and and everything else that he's got. He's a two way player. He's going to be a 200 foot. He's going to be the prototypical center in this game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's exactly what you want in a franchise center. Absolutely. Unbelievable talent. You noted the speed, which is just the things he does, not just his speed up and down the ice, but the speed in which he makes plays at full speed mm-hmm. is just absolutely incredible. And, you know, I, I'm with Luke. I still would put Sidney Crosby as the best player in the league right now, but it's not going to be a very long time until McDavid catches him. It's, you know, how you're, you're playing a sport, whether it's basketball or hockey or whatever, you get into that zone where you're just like, you're not thinking everything's just going perfect. That's McDavid all the time. That's really what it looks like. Like, in the Coyotes game that was here, he jumped to two different points because he's just moving so fast that that was just easier. One of them was right into the Coyotes bench, which speculate all you want (laughs) on how that would have looked if they had won the lottery two years ago. But the other one was just into the wall. Like, it was just easier for him to jump into the wall and bounce and and move the other way. It's almost like he's playing a different sport. Like, he's just – he's making extremely fast skaters look average. I'm still trying to think of a time when I was in the zone. Well – Still going back. Okay. I'm eight years back. Hey, give me some time. It might be different okay. when you're a goalie. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I like to think last week's podcast, you were in the zone, Craig. You were jumping around, moving faster than everybody else. So I don't really have anything else on McDavid. And it wasn't the first time I've seen him in person, but it just to see him in person on Friday and then watch him again on Sunday because the Coyotes played them. So to watch him very close twice, I... You and I have talked about this on the show before, Craig, how people were too quick to anoint him the best player in the league, but that was my thought. He's just, he probably already is the most entertaining. Ovechkin's there, but I feel like there are games where, or at least shifts where you kind of don't see Ovechkin. Then when you see him, he's obviously, you know, he's the focal point of the game, but it just, it was impossible to, to not see number 97 flying around the ice. So by maybe by next Monday, he'll be the best player in the game, are we thinking? <laughs> yeah, it depends when we release this podcast. Okay. It might already be outdated. Well, and again, it's just kind of a shame. And this is going to come off as a typical knock of that I usually do, but like it's kind of a shame that he's lost in Edmonton in this whole thing. If he was playing in a Toronto or New York or Washington or Philadelphia, Pittsburgh even, I, I think he'd get talked about a lot more. As we talked about last week, Angel does a terrible job of promoting its individual players to the masses. Yeah. And they even harder for a market like Edmonton. And outside of Canada, right? Yeah. Because he's, I mean, he's obviously hyped insanely in Canada, but yeah, it just doesn't stretch south of the border, and that no. is a shame because he is a special, special player. You know, we talked so much on this show when, when the Maple Leafs won the lottery that maybe that was the best place for Austin Matthews to go if he wasn't going to stay in Phoenix, and maybe Toronto is the best uh, stage for him. I, and Craig and I have talked about this in, in one of the episodes, Jamie wasn't here, but Jamie, I, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. Just where Where would be the best place for McDavid? Because I really, I don't I mean, in terms of team need or market, I mean, what are, what are the factors we're considering here? I, I feel like there's got to be a happy medium where it's not just put him in the biggest American market. Put him in a team that, that needs him, that it could really change the outlook of that franchise. But I, I do think there's something to the notion that he would be marketed more if he was marketed more in the U.S. if he was playing in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I would, I think it's the cliched answer, but I think maybe the best option is the New York Rangers. You're in that big media market. They need a franchise center. We've talked about before how they have a lot of pieces down the middle, but none of them are franchise pieces. Uh, you already have a, a player, another player you can market in, Henrik Lundqvist. I think that would be the best case scenario in this hypothetical world we're in. If, in terms of marketability, no, yeah. no doubt, putting him in New York, and, and the Rangers certainly could use... Uh, the hope of another Stanley Cup. I, I'm not even sure they have it this year, although that's going to kill some people to hear. But here's another thought. How about the L.A. Kings? Yeah, that, that was my other thought. And, and that would change the whole look of that team. And we're, we're just putting them in the biggest markets, which is what my intention wasn't. But, yeah, I mean, if you put him in L.A. I, I think I'm watching a Coyotes fan slash your tires out there right now. <laughs> Well, that's just for the thought. That was my original thought. It, it would be somebody – see, now Dallas doesn't need another player like that. But Dallas – or Arizona, or Carolina, or Nashville, or somewhere like that, mm-hmm. where he instantly makes the game relevant more so than it is in, in a city like that. Maybe Florida, although I don't know what yeah, they would I do mean, with any one of those. Any one of those non-traditional markets would just see a spike if, if he were there. But man, in terms of marketability on a on a national scale, if he were playing in a market like L.A. or New York, it'd oh be yeah, insane. And L.A. still is 
even though they've got two cups now and got a little better following and that's a massive population base, it's still a non-traditional market. So to follow up the two cups and the Gretzky years with Connor McDavid might just solidify that franchise forever as a, you know, a, a major hockey market. What about Anaheim? That'd be interesting because that's basically L.A. but not yeah, quite L.A. Yeah, yeah. I thought about it. I just... Uh, Ask anybody in L.A. if Anaheim yeah, is basically L.A. Well, feel. No, but that's what I'm saying. It, it, so we're not putting it in the biggest market, but there are enough people there that is it really that hard if you live in Hollywood to drive 20 minutes to go see Connor McDavid play? Wait, 20 minutes from Hollywood to Anaheim? If you drive at 3 in the morning. The yeah, I want to say. <laughs> there you go. Okay, whatever, an hour. Okay, or, or two. Or longer. <laughs> I did make that drive last year. So I should be a little smarter about that. Uh, I will say this, though. NBC Sports did show McDavid versus Matthews Part 2, so that's at least a little progress. And neither one of them disappointed. They each scored. That's... Uh, they probably took so much criticism for not showing part one that... I don't know how you don't show part neither one. Neither do I. These, these are the two main stars, the next wave of stars, and they only play twice a year. It's not like this is baseball where the Red Sox and Yankees play 19 times a year, so yeah, maybe you don't want to show us every game, although certain net networks already do. But uh, yeah, it was good to see that at least. Jack Eichel is back. Jack Eichel is back, yep. Another, hopefully, franchise center for that franchise. So they're, they're, they're hoping he's not going to be on this level. Not going to be on this level, but... Made a nice entrance himself by scoring, and, and certainly Buffalo's going to be a better team with this guy in the lineup. I, I, I really like them up the middle when he's in the lineup. You, you can't complain with the one-two center combination on that team, and, and that's a really good and important piece to have moving forward. Yeah, goal and assist in his first period back. He's only played one game so far, but it's uh, certainly good to see him out there. All right, now we've got a couple bigger stories to hit on here. One of them we're going to hold off on, the whole Florida Panthers thing. We're going to have George Richards on to talk about that. We're also going to hear from John Rosen of the uh, covering the LA Kings. But, Craig, I'm going to let you pick here. Do you want to go with Sidney Crosby or do you want to go with the Dougie Hamilton? Well, here? since we're talking about centers right, right now, franchise centers, and you know, we were talking about the guy who is going to be the, the best player in the game, let's stick with Sid for a minute. And where, where is he now? Is it 15, 15 goals in 16 goals. games? Yeah. How cool would it be if Sidney Crosby averaged a goal per game? Only three players in the history of the NHL have ever done it. Wayne Gretzky did it twice, Mario Lemieux did it twice, and Brett Hall did it. Sid's just off that pace right now, has come back with a vengeance. That is such a hard achievement. It, it's so difficult to do that. I remember when, when Gretzky used to set those season goals for himself statistically where he wanted to average two assists in the season and then did it, or average a goal in a season and did it, but... It's so hard to do, especially in today's game where the numbers have dropped off, and yet here he is, just a shade off that pace right now. It's, uh, I'll say a couple things about this. If he were able to do that, or if anybody else in today's game were able to do it, mm -hmm. I might call it the single greatest single season statistical accomplishment ever. Because, like you just said, it's only been done a couple times anyway, and they weren't in the 2000s. This is a much different game now, so to be able to... To, to average a goal a game is unreal. I mean, you're, you're talking about basically an 80-goal season. Now, Crosby missed six games, so for him it would be 76 unless he misses more. But, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a little interesting that it's him that's doing it because he's generally not a pass-first guy. I mean, he had 36 goals last year. He's routinely up around between 30 and 40. He had a 51-goal season earlier in his career, but... If you, if you said to me, hey, somebody's going to average a goal per game this season, <laughs> he probably would have been like my fourth or fifth guess. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody would have even talked about that as, as a potential topic, right? A goal per game, nobody's ever going to do that again, right? And here he is. Jamie, we need to get thoughts from you. From and I don't mafia, think he's going to. From the Mafia Man. <laughs> the Mafia Man. It's, it's interesting because there's a little bit of the argument that we, we always hear with like Jonathan Taves where – well, if he wanted to be more offense-focused, he could, but he doesn't because it sacrifices the other elements of his game that help his team win. And, and Crosby's the same way. He's always had this ability, this talent. I don't know if it's 80, an 80 talent, but he's got that <laughs> kind of ability. But there are so many other aspects of the game in which he needs to do on a nightly basis to make the Penguins successful. They didn't always display 50-plus goal potential like he did one of the seasons of his career. So he's always had the ability. But, uh, you know, what he's been doing this season is, is remarkable. You're I mean, a Penguins really fan. What's, be, what's behind this? Why is he scoring more? What's, what's changed about his role or his emphasis? I do think there is something to the idea that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Of he's got that second Stanley Cup now, so there's a little bit 
of pressure off. They, mm. they won that first one, and that was great, and everybody's like, they're going to win five, and then they didn't win for six years, and you could tell each year there was just so much more pressure, not just on that team, but specifically him, because he's the face of that team, and, and there's all this talk of, well, it's, Anze Kopitar already has two, and, and you're supposed to be the best player in the world. Now he's got that, uh, and like you said, I think now he just he wants more, obviously, but it, it's... I think there's a little bit of pressure off. And, you know, to your point with Gretzky when he would make those goals of I'm going to get two assists this season or whatever, I mean, Crosby is very much the same way of a couple of years ago. He, I need to get better in the face-off circle. I want to be one of the best. He was, he was average as a mm-hmm. face-off guy a few years ago. When they won that first cup, he was average. But now he really is one of the best face-off guys in the league, and so maybe he just took it upon himself this year to say, he also had to sit out a lot of games to start <laughs> off. I want goals this year. I want to score a goal per game this year, so I'm just going to go out and do it. <laughs> I mean, only eight players in the history of the game have even scored 70 goals in a season. Do we think Sid's getting there? No, I no. no. Just going to tail off at some point. Is that what you're thinking? Well, I mean, again, he missed the six games, so for him to to keep that goal a game pace is going to be 76 goals right there. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't. If you're talking about getting to 70, he has basically no margin for error. And I just there's going to be. A, there's going to be stretches where they need him to do other stuff, especially probably as you get later in the year if they're trying to get first in the Metro so they don't have to play Washington or the Rangers in the first round. But, look, I mean, if, if it comes down to simply we need you to score goals, it's, uh, it's interesting to see that he can just almost seemingly do it at will right now. I'd like to see him at least get past Ove- what Ovechkin did in 07-08, get past 65 so it can be like <laughs> – the, the greatest total, would, would it be the greatest total since, like, the turn of just the millennium? take everything be? Ovechkin has. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, maybe that's, yeah, and that's <laughs> part of it, too. Pittsburgh fans would love to see it for that reason alone. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was, that was a cute little season you had. It would be the most since the turn of the millennium if he could eclipse Ovechkin and get 66 goals this year. Uh, it would also be, it would put him in the top 21 in all-time single season goals per game. But I mean goals in a season. Most of those years again are the eighties and seventies. Yeah, correct? exactly. It was just it was such a different game. <laughs> when teams didn't play the structured style that they do now. They didn't uh-huh. they weren't nearly as good defensively and they weren't nearly as well coached no. as they are now. Players didn't block shots, goalies didn't wear equipment and goalies refused to drop down to make saves. They just kinda kicked at the puck as it was coming at them. Right. And Wayne Gretzky did did he do the uh, the two hundred foot game of defense? I know he did one on the PK, it was deadly, but was he that kind of player? He was. Imagine him in that role now, playing the number one center role right now with, with how much defense is, is uh, emphasized from that position. It'd be interesting to plug him in and see what would happen, yeah. what would need to change in terms of emphasis, structure, all that. It's a different game. It's a completely different game. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense, oh, Craig. Boy. Uh, that's what they say. I'm just going to speak in cliches for the rest right. of the show. You want to just drop Eric Carlson's name now? <laughs> Where we're going with this. I'm just gonna let the image simmer in the room. Okay. Um, it would be it would be unreal. I thought Ovechkin's 65 goal season was was unreal, just because again all those all of those other high scoring seasons were years and years and years ago, and many of these players weren't even born. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. If you ask me who else had a 60 goal season, it would probably be somebody I didn't really get to see play. It, it had to be Gretzky and Lemieux, but has anybody else done it since then? Since. I'm sure somebody has. I'm sure somebody yeah. in the well, 90s. Well, uh, Steven Stamkos hit 60. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, Stamkos, yeah. But Yarmir Yager had, well, Yager had 62 in 95-96. Okay, so, so yeah. I think it's only been done twice since the turn of the millennium. Let me double-check that. You're right, because I remember... Yes, Stamkos and Ovechkin are the only two since the turn of the millennium to top 60 goals. And, and in my mind, those are the two best pure goal scorers in the NHL. And I think Stamkos, it's not his fault, but just the injuries have kind of taken him off that list for a little bit. To me, it's, it's Ovechkin. I've said this on the show before. I think Ovechkin is the best pure goal scorer I've ever seen. The funny, thing about, the funny thing about Ovechkin, too, is, is I, I see this growing narrative around him that people are almost not giving him credit because, well, he always shoots from the same spot of the power play. Who cares? Like, it's easy. Like, oh, that, that's the only difference oh, in scoring oh, that's goals. that's the secret? Like, okay. yeah, if anybody's, you know... <laughs> That's, that's you know, if Luke Shen just takes a shot from that spot, it's automatically going in. I'm just picking a Luke Shen randomly. Not, I didn't mean to. I just was thinking of somebody. Well, you looked at me and you said Luke, and then you had to go with, with somebody else in the league who actually plays in the NHL. Uh, it, it, would, it would be insane. I can't think of any other Lukes in the NHL. I'm really, that's, that's the, if I had to pick, like, in, from an individual statistics standpoint, if I had to pick one thing that I want to see happen this year, that's it. I want to see Crosby get a goal per game. It would be so cool. All right, well, good luck with that. Okay. I mean... He's, he's doing it right now, but, but good luck with that. Uh, okay, here we go. Brian Burke? Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah. This, is, this is like I want to hear your dessert. intro on this one. Go. Tee this up. I don't even know where to start. This is vintage Brian Burke. I, it does feel like Dougie Hamilton's name is constantly coming up in trade rumors, uh, it, really even from back when he was in Boston. This story has so many different fantastic elements to it because oh, you yeah. have Jamie talking about Boston trading key defensive players, and you have Brian Burke getting angry. And, yeah, Brian Burke just talking because whatever he talks, I'll be... Comes out. And he just he just kind of attacks <laughs> the maple leaves without even it just, yeah. just just not even. There like, are people thought that thought he was talking about the coyotes. Just like I thought it was pretty obvious who he was talking yeah. about. I mean that was that was as thin a veil as I can imagine. I, the part that kind of made me think he was talking about the maple leafs is when he said, Whenever the maple leafs are involved. Yeah. That was that, the part that, that kind of drove it, me yeah. to it. <laughs> Word for word. Uh that's just great. Brad Burke is great, great with, with B and B squared. <laughs> we should have them both on the show at some point. Uh, now I think it's going to be fantastic if he trades Dougie Hamilton and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, and his quotes after that would be would probably still be spectacular. Yeah, it would. I would love to hear what he had to say. This is what you guys wanted all along, isn't it? Here's the thing with, with the Dougie Hamilton rumors. Here's, I wanted to talk just basically about how this stuff starts. And when you read, when you read these national reports, the semantics within those reports are so important to understanding what's going on here. It's not just blanket... Calgary's trying to trade Dougie Hamilton. It's, oh, they fielded calls from other teams. He's probably not on the market, but they're going to listen to offers. You know who that applies to? Every single player in the National Hockey League. And every other sport. GMs talk all the time. They explore trade ideas all the time. That doesn't mean it goes anywhere beyond that point. And, and it doesn't mean they don't like what the I'm player. Hearing, or, yeah. Dougie Hamilton is not on the market. They, they made a huge investment. They like what they're getting from him. Yeah, they just traded for him a year and ago. And that piece, again, as we have said so many times on this podcast, that right-handed top four defenseman, he's got size, he can skate, he can shoot. They're not going to give up on him this quickly. He's not going anywhere. As Brian Burke would say, yeah, we should trade him. Right, exactly. <laughs> Wait, he skates like a deer. I'm still trying to figure out that imagery. Yeah, because when I picture Bambi on ice, that yeah. didn't go well. No, it didn't go well at all. No. So hopefully it's a, point, it's like a much stronger, more powerful. You should powerful create player. that gift. So. And I'm sure it's already yeah. out there. Yeah, probably. <sighs> yeah, just, just enjoy Brian Burke. When, when <laughs> that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. I just, I'm just happy whenever Brian Burke is quoted extensively. It, it is a great point, though, what you're saying in terms of, of how these rumors get started. If you are the GM of the, you're GM of the Washington Capitals, and I call you and I ask about Nicholas Backstrom, does that mean we're, we're, we've now had a conversation about Nicholas You're Backstrom? entertaining offers. Of, you're entertaining the offers. Maybe not entertaining. Might, might be we've had conversations. Some other way. We've had conversations. We've had trade about, talks. Yeah, we've had trade talks. Yes. Even though all you did was answer your phone. If yeah. you just answer your phone, I'm like, hey, Craig, want to trade me Nicholas Backstrom? I wonder Backstrom? if people realize how often GMs just talk. They talk all the time. I mean, aside from the meetings, the, the times that they get together, you know, at the last GM meeting, as, yeah. as I was told by a couple GMs, <laughs> really wasn't much of substance discussed at that one. That yeah. one, they, they tabled all the things that they're considering until the next GM meeting, so God knows what they did the rest of the time. But I, I'm guessing they, they talked trades, and none of those trades came to fruition. Most of them won't. But this is what happens around the league all the time. These guys are on the phone. It doesn't mean something is coming. It's just, it's just fodder for the rumor mill. But it's different now, I mean, because if you did this 30 years ago, chances are the player never heard about it. Now, Dougie Hamilton has absolutely heard about this, and he's not the only player whose name keeps coming up in trade talks this year but that doesn't the best example of this is probably when we get to the trade deadline every year and there's an eight-hour show around the trade deadline talking about the hundreds of deals we're going to have and then there's like three (laughs) and then there's a bunch of like minor league players traded for draft picks so yes trade talk does not equal trade and I can't like you said why would they trade Dougie Hamilton when they just dealt for him it's not like they drafted him five years ago and they're fed up this is not a Jacob Truba situation where he wasn't signed. Right. Yeah. It, it wouldn't make any sense. It's such a valuable piece to that team and to a lot of teams. It's, and at his no age, sense. at that position, yeah. to, to, to give up on that? I mean, imagine Shirelli a team and, giving up on him yeah, even earlier but that's, than that. That's pure Shirellian. Crazy, right? Pure Shirellian. <laughs> Laying just down the road in Alberta now. Well, he's already done it once, didn't he? Right? I mean, he yes. already, well, I guess he didn't send Hamilton away, but no, they, they still had the, no. the pure Shirellian signs. That, up was, that was done, sweetie, but Shirelli yeah. had his own 
Tyler Shady. Oh, yes. Dougie Hamilton will be 24 starting next year. Right, Next exactly. season. Not next year. I'm sorry, next season. And defensemen take longer to develop in this league. By and large, they take longer to develop. They don't mature until a little later than the other players. It's the new NHL. So... If you're not on the Hall of Fame doing? track by the time that you're 21, you're done, basically, <laughs> right, right? Right, right? Isn't that what it is? Hey. All right. Uh, there was a huge story in Florida, or I guess in Carolina about Florida, or all over the eastern seaboard about the Florida Panthers. Uh, we'll get into that. We're going to talk to George Richards of the uh, Miami Herald and get his thoughts. We'll, we'll give you our opinion afterwards, but we're going to get the actual story from him. Yeah, the, the actual, you know, the inside story. We'll just give you our uninformed opinions afterward. Is that cool? Yeah, after we've been informed by him, we'll right. still give you our uninformed yeah. opinions. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's where we'll go. I don't know, George. I'm not, I'm not sure I feel that way about it. Yeah, well, we're going to disagree with the guy that's right there on, <laughs> on, <laughs> at the actual arena. All right, let's get to George. All right, All right to get some uh, insight on one of the biggest stories around the NHL, certainly in the past week, talking about the Florida Panthers here, we could give you our opinions, or we could just talk to a guy who probably actually knows what's going on. George Richards of the Miami Herald joins us now. George, first of all, thanks for the time. I know this is probably a busy time around the Florida Panthers. What's the uh, the feeling in your mind among the fan base right now with the events that kind of went down over the weekend? Well, I think there's just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are upset because, you know, uh, Gerard Gallant was, you know, first and foremost successful as a, as a coach for the Florida Panthers. They're not used to seeing that. Um, and secondly, you know, very, you know, easygoing guy with you know worked well in the community who was always out there for the fans always had a smile on his face i think people that saw him watching the games you know was like you know this guy's like that in real life and he was i mean he was a very very friendly guy very outgoing guy um and they just didn't feel like he was done right i mean you look at the optics of that thing and and him standing on the curb with his bags waiting on a cab um you know, regardless of how the Panthers, you know, have spun it, and then, and, and, you know, I do believe that they called for a for a for a car to come get him, and it was in Raleigh, North Carolina, on a Sunday night. I get that, but the pictures come out, and it looks like you just dumped your guy, and a guy that was loyal, and a guy that, you know, was good to the program. So I think fans are a little upset, but you know, winning will cure that. They'll be okay. Gerard Gallant's going to be okay. He's going to get a new job, uh, you know, after this. So you know, everybody, everything will work out. George, help us inside the uh, the basics of this move. I, I know you've rehashed this a, a little bit already, quite a bit actually, I'm sure. But help us understand the decision behind this dismissal. Well, I think that they've been talking about making a coaching change throughout the offseason. I think they realized, even though they gave Gerard Gallant a, a two-year contract extension last December, um, I think they realized that their new philosophy, the way they were moving forward, the way that they were going to run this franchise, kind of differs with Gerard Gallant's coaching style. Um, so basically, they changed. You know, they hired Gerard Gallant to be the coach of this team, and then they changed the game on him. And uh, you know, I, I think he, he tried to adjust, and he did adjust. I think he did do a lot of you know he did do a lot of different things. But he still is, is a guy that likes a certain style of play. The, the Panthers management wanted another style of play, a faster, quicker, um, you know, style, uh, more up and down, more run and shoot kind of stuff um, than Gerard Gallant did. And uh, the differences were just at the end of the day, you know, too big to, to overcome. Uh, let's look inside that a little bit more. What structurally changes? What was Gallant's philosophy? What's the new philosophy? And, and do they have the personnel to fit that new philosophy? What with all the changes they made in the offseason? Yeah, right now, yeah, they did. They didn't have the, the they didn't have the personnel there to, to, to suit you know Gerard Gallant. Like like uh, you know he wanted bigger guys. He wanted uh, guys with grit. He liked fourth line guys who could kill some penalties. Where the Panthers were looking at their fourth line as a scoring line um, or, or the potential to, to, to be a scoring line, um, and that's all well and good. But that that probably means you know, you're going to have to be better on the back end. And I think the Panthers are going to have to be better uh, defensively. They, the, you know, Tom Rowe has said that they're changing up some of the defensive formations. They're going to be, you know, uh, they're, you know, different zones. They're going to change things up. And, you know, Roberto Longo said he was all for it because he, he sent, he sensed an improvement Tuesday night in Chicago. So, um, you know, they're going to change a little bit here and there. There's not much you can do. Obviously, this is the, this is the, the, this is the roster you've got. You can't make wholesale changes in the middle of the season. And they, I don't think they want to. I mean, this is a team they put together. So this is their team, and now it's going to be run their way. Um, 
you know, so we'll just see how that goes moving forward. I guess that's the next logical question here. How are the players receiving this? Because 103 points last year, you win the division. You, yes, you were about average this year, but you're also playing without Jonathan Huberdeau. I, I would imagine that there's there's some of these players are maybe taken aback a little bit. Yeah, but I think they all all they've all heard the same things that we have. That you know that this this, this change was going to come eventually. Um, you know, I think people look too hard at their record and say, "Man, they're 11, 10, and one. Why would you fire your coach?" Well, because they had seen enough, you know, they they had given this experiment, you know, in their mind long enough. Um, they want to move forward with with their philosophy, with 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 their with the style of play they want. They're 22 games into the season, um, you know. This again, this was something that could have been done in the off season and wasn't. Uh, Gerard Gallant saw it coming. He was, you know, he and he and management were sniping a little bit, uh, snipping at each other a little bit. So I think he saw it coming last week, and. Uh, you know, that's basically it. When you say, you know, it could have been done in the offseason, was, was the idea to give Galan a little time to see if he could adapt to this new philosophy? Well, I think, you know, I, I'm not saying he couldn't adopt it. You know, if people have different philosophies on how to win hockey games, and Gerard Gallant's way worked pretty well for the Florida Panthers the past two seasons. Um, and I think he was trying, you know, kind of getting away from, from what made him successful as a coach. And I think he just wasn't, you know, he was going to be true to himself at, in the end. And he wasn't going to, you know, and try and change to something that he doesn't necessarily believe in. I think it's just different philosophies. And, um, you know, he, you know, I think Gerard Gallant, I think too much was made that he didn't like analytics. I don't, that's not true. I think he, he found, as many, many people in hockey have, um, there are certain things that he valued and he looked at and said, you know what, that's pretty helpful. And other things, he's like, that's nuts. I, I, you know, that, that doesn't do anything for me. So, um, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think, I think he's going to have a, you know, pretty, he's going to get a job down the road and I think he's going to do a good job there too. All right. Well, help us inside this management structure now. First of all, how is it all going to work? What do the relationships look like there? We know Dale Talon was moved up into a different position in the offseason. How does this all shake out now? Well, you've got the ownership. You've got Vinny Viola and Doug Sifu at the top. Um, you've got uh, Tom Rowe as the, the, the general manager who has turned over his duties to his assistant general managers, uh, Eric Joyce and Steve Warrior. You've got Dale Talon in there. Um, maybe Dale becomes, you know, gets, gets a bigger role than he had during the offseason. I don't know. Um, I think this is pretty much Eric Joyce and uh, Eric Joyce's and, and Steve Warrior's team right now um, with input from Dale. Um, and then you've got Tom, so and their scouts and all that stuff. So um, that that's the way it looks to me. Is it too simplistic to call this an analytics-driven management team? Then is there more there? What what's at play here? Uh, yeah, I think it's analytics-driven. I think that they, you know, you look at the ownership of the Panthers and and they've used anal, you know, mathematics to 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 make you know become a billion-dollar company on Wall Street, um, and they're just kind of using their business acumen. On, on you know on the ice and, and bringing it hardcore in, into into hockey, um, but again you know Tom Rose even you know we were talking to him and he's kind of downplaying it. Um, it is it is an analytics driven thing that is going that is moving forward how they look at players, um, how they look at potential players, guys they want to go after, um, try and find value uh, through mathematics. Um, but also, but also looking at you know they've, they've got plenty of scouts. They've got guys watching tape. If, you, if you're just going off analytics, you don't bother with tape. You just you just watch, you know, the numbers and you you scour that. But uh, they're 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 looking um, at both sides of things. But I think in the end of the day, one you know fifty fifty, it's going to lean more towards the, the the analytics as they try um, as they try and, and find value in, in a salary cap league. George, how do you see this playing out with Tom Rowe? Is, is it basically he's there and it's his permanent job going forward beyond this year, or are they still kind of taking a, a wait-and-see approach? Um, you know, they've got 60 games left. I think it's a wait-and-see. Let's see how this thing works out. Um, I wouldn't be – you know, it's, it's, I think it's just too early to tell. I can't – I don't have a feel for it either way. Um, I, I know they really like Tom. They really respect Tom. Uh, Tom has been part of this ownership's inner circle for the past year. Um, so I think they're going to give him every chance to succeed and to succeed in this job. Um, but, you know, time will just tell how, how this thing goes. 
George, just uh, diving into the team just a little bit before we let you go here. Uh, I know there have been some key injuries that we just discussed a little bit earlier, but in terms of the players that have been here, what do you make of their overall performances? What, what have been the pluses and minuses thus far on this roster? Well, um, you know, Jonathan Show is a guy that, that obviously uh, kind of came out of nowhere with, with his point production. I think that's been a plus. Um, I think Keith Yandel, he only has one goal, but I think his play has been a plus. Florida's Cat new captain, Dirk McKenzie, has played well. Um, I, I think you look at the statistics and you would say that, you know, Yager and Sasha Barkov are having down years, even though you watch the games and they're playing pretty well. They just, you know, especially Barkov just, you know, can't buy a goal at this point right now. Um, but, uh, you know, and Aaron Eckblad's numbers aren't what, you know, the Panthers would expect them to be. Um, but, again, we, you know, we're just now hitting the quarter mark of the season. There's plenty of hockey left to be played. Um, I think Ekblad's been playing fine. I mean, everybody keeps asking about his goals and, and his numbers, but truthfully, he's been great defensively, and I think they're happy with the way he's played. The, the, the points are going to come. I mean, that kid's got such a terrific shot, such a heavy shot that finds its way. He's going to he's going to break through. So is Barkov. So is Yager. So um, the Panthers aren't too worried about the, the, you know the guys that they need to get going. They feel like they will you know pretty soon. Yeah, just specifically real quick on Barkov before we let you go. Just yeah. the two goals, but, you know, like you said, the shooting percentage is under five. This is a guy who had 28 goals last year. He's still only 21 yeah. years old. Is he is he handling that well? He's getting the, enough chances, and he realizes it's, it's going to come for him, or, or is he it, starting to grip? It's, it's a little hard to grip. I mean, this is a guy that's used to scoring, and probably, I'm telling you, I've, I've watched every game. Uh, in the past two weeks, he probably should have scored six goals. I mean, it's just – the goalies are making such saves on him. It's just unbelievable. It's just one of those things where, again, analytics, it doesn't, you know, the reality is sometimes you just don't have the luck. Sometimes you run into a hot goalie that can reach you, and that's exactly what's happening to Sasha Barkov. I mean, because he, he's been terrific on both ends of the ice, as he has been since he got here in Florida. Um, and, the, and the goals are going to come. He's shooting the puck just like the Panthers wanted. I mean, that was the thing. When he first got here, you know, he didn't shoot enough. He was more of a facilitator. Now, you know, with Yager telling him, dude, shoot the puck, shoot the puck, he has been doing that. He just hasn't found the success in that. And when that comes, you know, the Panthers are going to, you know, be feeling good about it. It's George Richards of the Miami Herald. You can find him on Twitter, at George Richards. George, thanks so much for the time, and enjoy the rest of the season. All right, thanks. We'll see you. Thanks a lot. All right, so good stuff there from George, who's obviously a lot closer to the situation than any of us are. But, uh, Craig, I just wanted to talk about it for a second, just in terms of, of the optics of it and how it looked on Sunday night. Because there does seem to be a, a, a growing sort of a groundswell of, of people that were just kind of paid attention to the Panthers. They were a good story last year. In fact, I think a lot of people last year were kind of enjoying their run. If they weren't playing your team, and you know your team had to be the Islanders in terms of the playoffs, I think a lot of people were kind of voting, rooting for the Panthers to go out there and maybe pull an upset, or maybe it wasn't even an upset. They had 103 points last year. I think a lot of people were kind of on that bandwagon as their second team. Now it feels like the exact opposite. I feel like there's a lot of people that are actively going to be rooting against the Panthers, right or wrong, and, and that's what kind of stood out to me on Sunday night. You know, as, as George said, I think a lot of people knew this move was coming at some point because they're trying to go in a different direction, but it is weird when you get 103 points in the season, you have one of your best seasons in franchise history, and then you just gut the team. It's it's very strange. Yeah, well, I mean, the, like you said, in, it, when we're talking optics, the, the image of him standing outside waiting for a cab. Now, That's the, the right. Panthers came out and said they, they called the car for him. It was his decision to take a cab. So, okay, there's there's an explanation there, and we'll, we'll just assume that's true, but... But we also didn't hear from the Panthers until the next day. Yeah, it took them a, a long time to, to respond to that, which was... Yeah. It's not good from a marketing standpoint because you took a yeah you took a half a day's worth of PR damage yeah. via that. And when I first looked at that photo, I, I have to admit, and my my eyesight is notoriously bad. I looked at it, I was like, is, does he have his stuff in hefty bags? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Did they just give him hefty bags to load up his stuff? <laughs> it was, Clearly, it wasn't the that wasn't no, the case, but but it was very strange. It's yeah, and it's again, there's if you. I don't, I don't know. I guess I, I wonder why bring him back for the first quarter of this season. If, if you knew you wanted to make a coaching change, why didn't you do it in the offseason when you were doing all those other things? Now, maybe, maybe it was a, a situation where they said, okay, let's see 
if he can adapt, or maybe they realize that it would look really bad to fire a coach coming off a 103-point season. It would, but I feel like this looked worse. Yeah, I, I'm not sure it looks any better. No. I, you know, and you can't say, well, the team's not doing well when they're missing key pieces. You, no. Injuries have played a major impact on the Florida Panthers' performance thus far, and Gerard Gallant showed last year that this team can have success playing his style. I know they didn't have it in the playoffs, but that's one year. That's a small sample size, and they did make some moves that they feel made the team better in the offseason. Maybe, maybe that, that's part of it, right? You don't think that he can coach this style again, but then why wait until 20 games into the season to make that call? That's the thing. I mean, the bottom line is, is you fired your coach when you were two points out of a playoff spot a yeah. quarter of the way into the season. And as George said, maybe don't look so much at the record this year when, when trying to evaluate this, but his record counting this year as the Florida Panthers coach, 96, 65, and 26. Again, 103 points last year. He was the runner-up for the Jack Adams. This was only his third season with the team. I'm with you. If you just if you knew that there was nothing he could do short of winning a Stanley Cup that was going to make you bring him back, then let him find his next job because he will find one quickly. And also, you know, what did you accomplish in this first quarter of the season? He had to know that if they weren't in first place that he was he had to know ownership was waiting to fire him I mean that's the weirdest thing about this it looks like they were just waiting to fire him and this is something I mean I guess this is a bit of a tangent but I've never understood I've never understood the people in sports that just hate analytics and just think wow that's that's nothing that's that's just the old school whether it's Charles Barkley or whoever that mentality I've just never understood that because that's just narrow-mindedness and nothing more but isn't the flip side only analytics matter? Isn't that just as narrow-minded? Of course it is. Of course it is. And there are, there are plenty of those true believers out there who yeah. will just cite those, those sorts of numbers until the cows come home and tell you that's the reason you should be making this judgment about a player. It is not the only reason, and it never will be, and it never should only be just that. There's so much more that goes into evaluating players. And like George said, he had, he had success coaching yeah. his style. It's, it's not like there's only one way to skin a cat here, too, right? There could be multiple ways to reach the goal, but I, they just had a difference of opinion. And I have to wonder if there was more strife behind the scenes than we know about. And there may, there may very well have been, even though Gerard Gallant is, is well known as a very easygoing guy. I mean, it, that doesn't mean that he wasn't butting heads with his bosses. That's entirely possible. But I would just say as a Panthers, if I, was, if I were a Panthers fan, first I would just, I, I mean, and I know a lot of Panthers fans were very vocal about how upset they were on Sunday night and Monday about how this all went down. But my concern going forward, because you still have a very talented team, I think one of the better up-and-coming young teams in hockey, my concern would be, hey, we're finally good. Are we going, are we going too far the other way where only analytics matter? Because that's – I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but that's kind of how it looked earlier this week of we don't really care about anything except analytics. And if you, if you can't get on board with that, then get out. That's how it's coming off. Yeah, and there doesn't seem to be a, a balance here. Like for – for the local team, you look at the Coyotes. And, they and, found balance. Yeah, they found balance. John Chaika is, you know, he's more than just an analytics guy too, right? That yeah. you, you get these these labels and they lack nuance. And Dave Tippett, is, oh, it was funny when he was talking about Gerard Gallant, they, they viewed him as a non-analytics guy, which isn't true. So many people think that of Dave Tippett still. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't know anybody who keeps more numbers and statistical analysis than Dave Tippett does. He's just got his own numbers that you're yeah, not going like to Yeah, it's like Matt know. Professor. It's just crazy how yeah. much stuff he does. But it's not your stuff. It's not mainstream stuff. He obviously has the famous quote calling Corsi and Fenwick, uh, Korsky and Fenske. He, he thinks very little of those two stats. And in some ways, those stats are just no-duh stats, right? Oh, we're getting more shots than the other team. We probably have the puck more, and that's probably a good thing. And that's sort of how he feels about those stats. Yeah. Duh, of course. But there's much deeper analysis to be done. And, and mind you, a lot of mainstream analytics are, are doing that as well. But Dave Tippett has his own things that he feels works. I'm sure Gerard Gallant had some of that as well. Yeah, I, I think that's a, important to note. Any, anybody that's coaching or running an NHL team, their analytics that they're using probably aren't the ones that you can just instantly click on on NHL.com. I'm sure they're aware of those numbers, just as you're aware of shots and goals and shooting percentage and all that, and even aware of plus-minus. But those aren't the ones that they're really diving into. I just, I, this, it's going to sound like this is my feeling right now because it's pertinent, but this was my feeling three, four, five years ago when it wasn't even so prevalent in hockey. I don't understand why it's so difficult to find a balance between the old school, I'm going to watch video, I've played this game, I know there's, there's intangibles, and analytics. Mix them both together. Yeah. You have to mix them together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the video analysis is the critical component of that because that's how John Chaika does his analytics. He's not... 
He's not doing it off NHL stats, as as many will tell you. Bad data in, bad data out, and you you can have corrections, or you know, over a period of time, you you know, that stuff will balance itself out. He doesn't. He doesn't even bother going that route. They take all of their statistical analysis off video. That's the way they do it. They're still watching the players. They're still understanding the situations in which these events occurred. And that's important analysis. And it just seems like the most basic, simple, logical concept. Why wouldn't you take all the information available to you, not shut any of it out, but also kind of be hands-on enough and do your due diligence to filter out the excess information that maybe yeah. is just going to cloud the picture. That it's a lot of noise. Yeah. John Chigel has said it himself. There's a lot of noise out there in terms of mainstream analytics. So we'll see. The, the Florida Panthers not normally uh, at, at the, the top of the headlines in the hockey world, but they certainly were over the weekend. It's amazing the, the, the changes in this, this roster, too, isn't it's it, from unreal. one season? I mean, I, we've talked about this before. We talked about it when we previewed them with, with Harvey Fjallkov, but we, you and I are looking at it right now, the additions, the losses, and not to mention all the stuff that happened behind the scenes in management or in the organization. There's so much turnover in this organization. It's crazy. I don't know if the number's accurate, but I have heard from a fairly reputable publication that it's roughly 30 people have been fired throughout the organization or you know, whatever whatever terminology you, you want to lo- use, uh, let go or moved on or whatever, since the end of last season when, oh, by the way, they won the Atlantic. <laughs> exactly. So you add Keith Yandel, Jason Demers, you add Jared McCann, Mark Fisick. You, you, you lose Gubbardson. I, I never pronounce his name right. Eric Goodbranson. Goodbranson, yes. Kulikov, Campbell, Kraus, Hoodler, Peary, all gone. Yeah, That's Peary, a lot of players, yeah. And, and a lot of players. pretty well. Yeah, there are several players on that list that are contributing. Brian Campbell's contributing to the Blackhawks now. He's finally found yeah. a place. Lawson Kraus got a ways to go with the Coyotes, but he made the roster instead of going back to juniors. And those aren't maybe all completely analytics-driven. My, my impression right. was that they wanted to keep Krause. They had to get rid of Dave Boland's contract. Yeah, so that's, you, that's definitely what was behind yeah, that one. You can't put them all, all in the same. But that's a lot of turnover for any team, specifically a one, one that was at the, you know, at the top and still on the way up, I thought. I mean, you could make a very strong case that if they just took what they did last year and kept doing it, Pretty good spot this year. Probably, yeah. probably at least a playoff team. Maybe not right now, but by the end of the season. Now I think that's up in the air. And, and maybe that's not anybody's fault. Maybe that's just the injury to Jonathan Huberdeau and the sort of different styles clashing. But I would have penciled Florida in as, as a definite playoff team at the start of the year. And now I think there's, there's some questions. Yeah, and, and if they don't make it, you, you can bet where they're going to look. Yeah, but the flip side is if they do make it, how much of that is these guys getting healthy and coming back? And they're yeah, all that's just true. Might be a nice cover for them. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk to John Rosen, get some uh, insights on the L.A. Kings. They have a they have a nine-game road trip coming up. Are you aware of this, Craig? Yes. I was just talking to him about it today. Can you imagine that? Absurd. Can you imagine that as a reporter, not, not just as a player. Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't relate to it as a player. I know what it looks like as a reporter, and that's that's some hard packing. Yeah, that's <laughs> That's, that's a great point. All right, so we're going to talk to John Rosen right now, get his uh, insight on an L.A. Kings team that I think a lot of people thought might make a, another push for the Stanley Cup when the season started. Then they started off very shaky, lost Jonathan Quick, and now they're back on the way up. Possession again. Yep, can't get rid of the Kings. All right, we're joined now by L.A. Kings insider. Can we call him friend of the show at this point? He's the first repeat guest we've ever had. John Rosen is here. Is that, is that fair? Are you comfortable with that title, John? Yeah. yeah Speaking of comfortable. Always. Speaking uh, of comfortable, oh boy! Can you tell us about your sock? Uh, can I call this a fetish? Yeah, it's a sock game. It's a very strong sock game today. That I brought okay. this morning. <laughs> that, they, uh, that's much more appropriate to hockey. So go ahead. Uh, they are. I didn't even realize these were the socks that I bought um, or that I brought uh, on this trip because I have like an afternoon pair and then I change into a pair later. This is very scintillating conversation, I know too. But <laughs> these are these are uh, they're monkeys with their tails up. And I had heard somewhere, I don't know, probably on the Internet, that a, uh, a monkey with its tail up is good luck, okay. um, which is not for anything hockey-related. Hopefully it's just life-related or something. These, these, but, are, uh, these are red socks, too, I should point out. Red and navy blue, yeah. Okay. yeah. They're actually, you know, it's red and black. It's, they're actually very similar to the uh, Coyotes' home jerseys right now. Well, I have a, I have a concern now, because is there any chance the Kings are going to start winning again and we're going to see rally monkeys in, in May and June? I, we don't need that, do we? I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think right now if there has been, like, any, like, emblem of, like, some turnaround or something like that. You know what it was? It was years ago um, where the Kings had Dancing Boy, um, where uh, <laughs> there's, a play, there's a fan at, oh, no. uh, at Kings. I mean, this is when the Kings were really bad. I mean, we're talking, like, you know, middle of the, the last decade. Um, it might have been a little bit earlier than that, maybe 02, 03, 04, but 
um, and this one fan just would, would dance over and over again during this one part of, uh, of, of a stoppage of play, and they put him up on the scoreboard, and he became known as Dancing Boy, um, and he got his own segment. Um, you know, this was when the Kings were probably, you know, not, not yeah, bringing in a, a, a ton of fans at the time and competitively weren't as good. But everyone got to look forward to Dancing Boy during uh, that part of the game. <laughs> you, we should point out that you can't use the Rally Monkey since the LA Angels of Anaheim already have oh, no. that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Just... They went way over the top with it. <laughs> Should we, uh, yes, yes, in fact, I'm, I'm looking at the, the Twitter page right now. He has, has his own Twitter page? 5,800 followers. All right. John, since we have you, I have to start the conversation with, uh, with Peter Budai, who has been phenomenal and, quite frankly, has never played this well throughout his entire NHL career. What has been the, the secret to his success so far? Uh, you know, I, I think the Kings have shown that, that generally when Quick has gone down for a period of time, that they've been well served by, by goaltenders that have gone in there. Um, this is due in part to, to a team that plays with pretty good structure. And the Kings have always been a team, or at least under Daryl Sutter, that has uh, limited shots against. They're good shots at freshman teams. Um, they're one of the better teams in the league uh, at closing quickly, at checking, playing that aggressive checking style of hockey. Um, so, so they limit scoring chances. They limit shots against. And that's part of the reason that has led to their you know, kind of discrepancy in possession. Um, but Budai has been very good. He's been a workhorse. Uh, it looks mm-hmm. like he's going to get the start against Arizona. Um, so, so that would be his 22nd consecutive appearance. Um, but, you know, I think there have been lulls, even though, you know, he, he is up there nearing the top of the list in wins by a goaltender this year in minutes as well. You know, there were some lulls in the middle uh, of his stretch, especially around games probably uh, 17, 18, around there. There was a stretch where he was allowing one soft goal per night. Uh, the Kings were mostly getting past that, though, because otherwise in that, from that he was very good for the team. Um, but more than anything else, he's just giving them a chance to win every night. It's not going to be a collection of spectacular saves. He's just putting them in position to win. Um, there's not a ton of a margin for error because the Kings are not a high-scoring team. You know, They are a team that has a low shooting percentage, so you're going to see some of those dips where they go a couple games in a row scoring maybe one goal a game. Um, but but he's, he's kept them above that margin, uh, and especially probably over the last week or two, especially during that, that five-game winning streak uh, when he was regularly allowing just one or two goals per game. He's been pretty good. Is that, you mentioned the, uh, the the inability to score uh, consistently with the Kings. Uh, we, we've looked at their possession numbers over the last several years, and they continue to be strong in that area. I think you mentioned something to me earlier when I saw you that this is a high-volume team in terms of shots. That's one of their philosophies. I imagine when, when you don't have maybe all the skill up front, that's just one of the ways to try and compensate for that. Yeah, I think they have pretty good skill when they're healthy up front. Um, you know, I think their, their, their challenges offensively is that they haven't gotten a ton from their third and fourth lines over the last two years or so. Um, but, you know, there was a chart, and I, forgive me right now because I want to be able to cite it properly, but there was a chart that I, I've seen on Twitter where, where the average shot distance uh, from the Los Angeles Kings was clearly the farthest away from the net. This is the forward average shot distance. Um, so... They're going to pour on the shots. They're going to take shots from just about anywhere on the ice uh, and, and look for that traffic out in front, look for those bang-bang plays around the net, those, those deflections and rebounds. Um, you know, I think that certain players, if you look at individual players, uh, Dustin Brown has been doing a better job this season bringing the puck towards the front of the net and getting the puck deep. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not a team that's going to be as individually skilled as some other teams in the league, though so there is some pretty good skill and some good pace, uh, especially in their, their, their top two lines. Um, but, you know, it's just a team that, 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 that relies on that heavy volume, that, that relies on just kind of wearing you down in the offensive zone, the, the whole death by a, a thousand paper cuts uh, type of, a, of, of system. Uh, it has worked well for them. Uh, and this is a team that, even though they have come down a tiny bit this year uh, in some of their possession numbers, they still remain very strong. It's a team that's probably a little bit faster than maybe they're giving credit for, and it's a team that has played with a pretty good pace under Daryl Sutter. That when they're going well, they move the puck very quickly. You mentioned Dustin Brown. He's got four goals. We're recording this on Thursday. I'm just going to assume he scores one tonight because he scores every time he <laughs> plays the Coyotes. But, you know, we talked to you in the summer. Uh, he had just lost the captaincy. How, how has that played out in the locker room? It doesn't seem to be hurting his production, but just in terms of the chemistry for this team. I don't think the chemistry with the team, and he and, and Andre Kopitar are extremely close friends. I, I think there is a little bit of pride that, that Dustin Brown was, was hurt uh, was hurt, I don't want to say emotionally, but he was hurt by it. Uh, this was something where I think he believes, and some other people may believe too, that there was no real need for that. 
Uh, I think when you look at it, that, that something just had to be done, that the status quo hadn't been working for Dustin Brown. This is a player that the Kings you know, invested millions of dollars in through the 2021 season, um, you know, well into next decade. Uh, so this is, this is a, something had to change. They needed to do something that, that perhaps would allow him to free other parts of his game up, whether or not taking away the captaincy is something that, that does that. I don't know. It was a route that the team chose to do. As you know, as I said, that the, the status quo just wasn't working. But um, you know, he, he's fine, and this is a Kings team that, again, even if you're not wearing a letter, there, there's a good constitution of leadership on this team. You, you know, Jonathan Quick is another player, even though you know he's not he's not in right now. But this is a player who is like a team captain on this Kings team, and kind of the emotional energy. He's a, he's a complete conduit for that. Uh, Andre Kopitar, uh, you know, is, is, is more of a lead by example. He has all the respect in the world, you know, from his teammates in, in the opposition. He's not a yelling type guy. Neither was Dustin Brown. Um, but between that, Jeff Carter, uh, another player that you could throw into that group. And then younger players probably who have assumed a little bit more of a, a leadership role, guys like Kyle Clifford. Uh, I think Alec Martinez has really stepped into that pretty well too, uh, somebody in his late 20s. So th- there's good leadership from around the room. It, it's just disappointing that obviously it, it had to come to something so public where, where you know, obviously Dustin Brown's a human being. You know, you're, you're going to be upset by, you know, when you have that captaincy taken away from you, given his track record as a two-time Stanley Cup winner. You mentioned Jeff Carter just a moment ago, and I wanted to ask your thoughts on him as well. Uh, He's been a productive player, obviously, over the course of his NHL career, having a terrific season. Anything changed, anything noticeable, John, in his game that's changed this season? Yeah, this was, well, nothing that's really changed. Uh, He's been a guy that, in terms of his production, it, it comes and goes. He's been a little bit of a streaky scorer. He's been on a pretty hot streak for the better part of the last month, and he has been the Kings. MVP this season. The Kings went 3-1-1 one, and one with Andre Kopitar out. And, and any type of stretch where you're missing Kopitar, this team will struggle to win games. And his play was part of the reason why this team stayed afloat during that. Um, it's not just the goal scoring. He's one of the best players in the Western Conference at shooting off the rush and making quick decisions off the rush. But this is a player that his 200-foot game, this was something that we were not quite as aware of uh, when we uh, hadn't seen him as much when he was back in the Eastern Conference playing for Philadelphia. Um, but because of his reach, uh, and because of his routes to pucks uh, and just his awareness in all zones, uh, Carter is a player that, that turns a lot of kind of 30-70 pucks into 50-50 pucks. And he wins battles, and part of that possession game that the Kings uh, you know, have been able to establish rests on players like Jeff Carter, who, who makes tough pucks you know, competitive in all zones of the ice. So he's one of those guys for the Kings that plays in all situations, penalty-killing, power play. Um, in, in addition to being a goal scorer, in addition to all that, too, um, it's also a player who has a pretty repetitive uh, uh, approach to the game. That is something that for younger players is a little bit of a model type of a citizen where, where his approach, it doesn't waver game to game. Kings might not win some games. He might go stretches of, of not scoring in certain games. Um, but, but his kind of easy, I don't want to say easy, but very level-headed game-by-game approach is something that, that's uh, pretty pretty. It rubs off well on the younger players of the team. He's, there's, a, there's a reason, a good reason, why he is still wearing an A on his jersey. Uh, John, when you look at the power play right now that's 27th in the NHL, I mean, it, it's obviously important for every team, but the Kings, their point differential on the year is, is it's completely even. So, I mean, is there concern about the power play? Is there expectation maybe that raises now that you're maybe you're getting a guy like Marion Gabryk back? Well, Gabryk's uh, presence will help, but this power play has been really poor all season long, and, and it's it's really the top unit that has struggled more more than some others. Um, you know, this is a, 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 this this Kings team. They had a power play goal last night that was again scored by the second unit. When you see guys like Nick Shore out on the ice, Dustin Brown, uh, you know, and, and not not the like premier offensive stars guys such as, you know, of course, Andre Kopitar, Jeff Carter, Tyler Toffoli, who's in a little bit of a rut uh, scoring wise this season too. Um, you know, I, I think um, there when you talk to them, they're still getting their types of looks. And they're still getting the chances that they like. The puck isn't going in for them right now. But when, however you want to cut it, uh, the, the top unit hasn't really cashed in. And, and you look at some of the, you know, the numbers on the year. Jake Muzzin uh, has not had very good success in the power play. Drew Doughty uh, hasn't had a particular amount of success on the power play either. Teddy Purcell was also somebody that was going to expect it to, to come in, perhaps play a little bit of a playmaking and more skilled role. Uh, and he's, he's even having trouble staying in the lineup right now too. Um, so, so the power play has, has been a sore spot, but the Kings have been getting by just be, by virtue of their, uh, you know, their, their five-on-five play and the fact they're winning a lot of close games. 
and have been one of probably the best team in the entire National Hockey League since the implementation of three-on-three overtime. Uh, since the beginning of last year in games deciding decided in overtime, uh, the Kings are 17-3. and three. It, a lot of coaches will say that you, you, get a, a, you don't get a real read on your team until about 20 games in. What is the overall feel about the L.A. Kings right now? What has Daryl Sutter said? What has is, what is management said? Uh, they're pretty, uh, I, don't, I don't want to use the word relieved, but they're encouraged by what they've seen. Because when you lose Jonathan Quick 20 minutes into the season, and you lose Andre Kopitar for a five-game stretch, Braden McNabb had been playing top-pairing minutes alongside Drew Doughty. You can go up and down the, the list of other guys that have, have been injured. Obviously, Marion Gabrick, um, you know, Andy Adrioff is, a, is a, uh, an important role player for this team. You know, they understood that there were going to be probably some adjusted expectations uh, during this uh, time. And the Kings' goal was just to remain in the mix, remain in that, that heavy middle class of teams in the NHL. Um, you know, that, that, that they didn't want to fall out of, out of the race. The Pacific Division is quite poor this year. And there's no real team that's running away with it. Ultimately, I would expect San Jose to probably do that. Um, but so far, I mean, they're playing better than 500 hockey. And anytime you miss any combination of Andre Kopitar, Jonathan Quick, or Drew Doughty, uh, this team will struggle to win games consistently. But uh, they've been a little bit of a streaky team just in the sense of wins and losses. I don't think their play has been that streaky. You know, the, I think the wins and losses have been coming just because, again, as, as we said, the Kings are a low shooting percentage team, and sometimes the puck just won't go in for them, um, even when the effort uh, is mostly more or less uh, pretty even night-to-night performance. Night-to-night doesn't really change too much. Um, so they're encouraged right now. They've been hanging out there. They're just kind of hoping to wait, lay in the weeds just until they get Jonathan Quick back. And then should they do that, then, then they'll be in position to hopefully make a run in the second half from their standpoint. But there are still some questions. It's, it's been a team. Um, that, that it kind of has a revolving door in, in some of the uh, fourth-line uh, uh, personnel. Uh, they've been getting better performances recently uh, over the course of the season from uh, the Nick Dowd line. When you look at this Kings team, one of the questions going into the year was going to be how they were going to get that production from depth uh, players up front and on the back end, too. Uh, the Brown-Dowd-Seneducci line has been very effective. Daryl Sutter didn't like their goals against me. He made a mention of that this morning. Um, but previous Kings teams weren't getting that production from that third line, at least over the last two years, and that third line has been scoring. So uh, they've been encouraged. Uh, the depth performances have been good. Derek Forbert has stepped into a, a, an admirable pairing alongside Drew Doughty and has been mostly pretty good. We're not sure if we're going to continue to see that here this evening. Daryl did make some adjustments uh, in the game against San Jose. Um, but they've, they've, they've hung in there, and it's been a little bit of an admirable job, and, and Daryl has certainly done a, a good job getting the same type of effort and uh, performance from them night after night. It's John Rosen. You can find him on Twitter at LA Kings Insider. John, how, uh, how excited are you for a nine-game road trip that basically takes up the entire month of December? <laughs> uh, you know what? It's just, it starts off so well. We go to Buffalo, and then we're in you know, Detroit in the middle of December, and then to Pittsburgh. It'll be fun. It's, it's always a lot of fun. I wish, Honestly, I wish all our road games were, were played at Gila River Arena because there's nothing easier than covering a game here in Glendale. Um, you usually arrive the day before. There are a million places to eat. You walk to the arena right next door. It's seriously the easiest building in the entire league to work a game at. It's also a short flight. When we come back to Los Angeles, we gain an hour uh, in the middle of the hockey season, too, which I like as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be a long stretch. It's going to be a, a road trip broken up into two different segments. Uh, I believe it's the first seven games and then the next two or three uh, after the Christmas break, where the Kings always uh, go and head out on their Western Canadian trip uh, right before the New Year. So a uh, long stretch of play away from uh, a Staples Center, and the Kings have not been a great road team this year. How many, how many pairs of socks is that? Oh, I'm definitely bringing these monkey socks. These are comfortable. <laughs> these will keep me warm when we get over to, uh, to Detroit later on in the year. But um, I don't know. That's, that's like that's a seven-game trip is one where you, know, you can't really do laundry on that trip. So you've got to bring a lot of clothes. That's, that's a good, like, 15 pairs of socks. That trip. <laughs> that's a lot of socks. All right. All right, John, I'll see you in a few hours over at the game, as will Luke. Yeah, good stuff as always. Thanks for the time, John. We'll see you tonight. Always my pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks a lot. That's John Rosen. Yeah, good insight there on the LA Kings, of course. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody knows more about the Kings than John Rosen does, short of maybe Daryl Sutter. But it is interesting because that is the team. At the start of the year, you, you wondered – not, not if, if the new style of hockey had passed them by, but just if they were going to be in trouble trying to keep up with teams 
without Jonathan Quick as well. I mean, how how close to to panic did they have to be when mm. they had Jeff Zatkoff letting everything in at the start of the year? Yeah, I'm sure they were panicked. You know, part part of what's playing into this, and, and Daryl Daryl Sutter even said this the other day after one of their practices that. When you look at the Western Conference right now, and I know St. Louis is starting to take a little tick upward, to be, but he, he singled out Chicago. He said that that team has basically won, you know, twice as many games as it's lost. But then you look at everybody else; we're all the same. We're all either three games over 500 or three games under 500, and and that's probably playing into this as well. Keeping the Kings in the thick of this, the Western Conference just hasn't been that good this year, and there are a variety of factors behind that. Whether it's injuries to some teams, like the Kings in Dallas, or you know, subpar play by other teams that you expected to take a step up like Nashville. But it's helping them stay in it, and, and they are feeling a little more comfortable. Maybe this gives them some confidence going forward. And they're, they're getting some nice contributions. And Jeff Carter's having a heck of a season right now. He's on pace for 36 goals, which, you know, he's hit that number before. Actually, he was up around 46 once uh, in Philadelphia. But he um, recently, that hasn't been his, his MO. He's been really closer to about 2025. So if he can get them 36 goals, that obviously helps. They get Marion Gabrick back. The road trip is is interesting. The game tonight, obviously, uh, here in Arizona, then they go back for three, but then nine straight on the road. They're only three, seven, and one on the road this season, so you don't have quick back yet. This is kind of a pivotal stretch for them to to hang around until they get quick back because, to your point, nobody in the West or in the, yeah, the Western Conference other than Chicago and maybe St. Louis has really been great, but everybody's there, so if you go on a on a major slide, say, on the road without your number one goalie, which is always possible. Sure you could be in some trouble. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to bet against the Kings because we've seen them in the past squeak into the playoffs on the last day, and they are a different team in the playoffs. But this is uh, they they're facing more challenges this year than I feel like they have in the last four or five years. 22 straight appearances for Budai. That's incredible. I mean, right now they're in a, a good portion of their schedule where they get days off, but that's – how long can that keep up? <laughs> At some point they have to play their backup. Well, he didn't start 22 games all of last year, so that's that's. Uh, we've seen we saw this with Devin Dubnik a couple years ago, and and he, he ended up in Minnesota and basically started every game. We saw it here. Louis Domingue last year had to step in, and I think he played what 27 of 29. But 22 straight for the LA Kings. There's a lot of pressure on that organization to have success. So that's uh, he's in a lot of ways has saved their season so far. Uh, Jamie's in here. Do we want to see if he has any closing thoughts before we wrap up the show? He's he's working on like nine different things. I know. I ended my mic off for most of those, too. Oh, I was wow. in and out. You turned your own mic off. He actually did. did conduct a meeting while we were doing the interview with George Richards. That's not a lie. I think he wrote seven stories, too, and edited five more. Something, yeah, something like that in the meantime. Yeah, but none of them make any sense. No. It's just a bunch of words strung together. <laughs> All right. It's, it's in Navajo code. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> so. Is that filler text? With, uh, have you ever used those programs to design, like, newspaper pages? Back yeah. When newspapers were a thing? Uh, and uh, they were just like filler text you could fill it in. That's, that's what I wrote. Dummy text, yeah. Like yeah. placeholder? Yep, placeholder text. Yeah. Like, Is that like, like a seat filler, like an award show? You're just kind of there just to be there. Anyway, this is, uh, that's it for Episode 61. For Craig Morgan, for Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.